Please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8 this morning, Acts chapter 8. And uh, while you're turning there, just a, a couple of things too. I was just made aware, uh, Diane, get this right, just, uh, Diane Godinez's mom is in the hospital. Dad, sorry, struggling with some breathing issues. They don't really know what's wrong, but if you keep Diane uh, and Rick and Diane in your prayers and, and Diane's dad, I know they would appreciate that. And then I want to do this this morning. I want to look at the camera, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, the Simonis family and to Dave Stevens up in Canada. So Tim and Vicki and, and Dave, we miss you. Nicholas, of course, we miss you. And I uh, can't wait to see you guys back. Without they, they tune in every Sunday and, um, and watch the live stream. For those of you that's, um, some mem- our church members own a resort up in Canada, a hunting resort. So they spend the entire summer up there. So they miss their church family. We miss you guys. So... Um, um, wanted to just acknowledge them, let them know they're not forgotten this morning. So, um, Acts chapter 8, and I want to go back to um, verse 18 and pick up a couple details uh, that we didn't get to last week with Simon the Magician and then, um, and then flow into the Ethiopian eunuch. Both uh, those individuals, both those narratives revolve around uh, this man, Philip, uh, known as Philip the Evangelist, as he's come to be known throughout church history. So I want to start here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, this is Peter and John, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And as he rose and went, oh, I'm sorry, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, 
And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of this man, Philip, a non-apostle, a man who had elevated himself because of his character and his love of you, that you elevated and, and then allowed these opportunities, God. He goes to Samaria and he preaches, and Simon the magician and the people there hear the gospel. There's a great response. Then he responds to the call to go down to the desert road towards Gaza and proclaim the truth again to this individual, this man who is seeking. And I pray this morning, God, as we open your word, as we talk about these texts, these verses, that we would be encouraged. You would do whatever work needs to be done in our hearts this morning. Your spirit your word. So we pray now, Lord, for that to happen, for your spirit to work. We need a word from you. So we pray for Christ to be made known here, for you to be glorified. For the sake of Jesus and his glory and the kingdom, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. My daughter... Maggie is um, she's very persistent things that she wants. There's two things Maggie has wanted in this life more than anything else. One was a pet, and one was to play in jazz band. And uh, we weren't going to let her have a pet because we have five children, and we don't need another thing. And then jazz band at 7 o'clock in the morning. And we're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And she was able to be involved in that starting in seventh grade. Um, but we're like, no, nah, let's just wait. And, you know, as parents, you're like, this will pass. She'll get over it. She won't want to be in jazz band, you know. She won't want a pet. Well, Maggie has this way. Like, it's just, it's uncanny. She can take almost anything that comes up and turn it to, speaking of that, you should get me a pet. <laughs> like, you know, we could be passing a farm. And someone would say, look at all the cows. And Maggie would go, speaking of animals, you should get me a pet. Um... And that, you know, music would come on. We'd turn the radio on. She'd go, speaking of music, you should let me play in jazz band. And this would happen over and over and over again. And finally, uh, let's just summarize it. Suffice it to say that Maggie now has a gecko, and she plays in jazz band. All right? So, uh, <laughs> no, don't applaud this. Uh, um, no, after a year and a half, of, we're finally like, we think this drum thing is for real. We'll probably let her play in jazz band. And then... The pet was a, 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 a blessing that fell on our laps. Thank you, Rumleys. <laughs> Should be some talk of some church discipline, but we'll just not that. <laughs> the persistence of Maggie, <laughs> like everywhere, turning the conversation to this thing that was important to her. 
I thought of Maggie when I was reading about Philip. Right? Simon, the magician, was a Samaritan. He was in Samaria. Philip, he's called there. What does he do? He goes and he takes the opportunity and he turns it into an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he goes down to the desert road. He's told to go there. And he goes down there. And he had the same persistence, this thing that matters most to him. And he, he preaches to this man. And then at the end, you see, he's taken from there. And he ends up in Azotus. And what does it tell us? It goes from, from Azotus all the way up to Caesarea, where he spent the best, probably the majority of the rest of his life. He preached the gospel everywhere he went. It didn't matter. It was important to him. It was significant to him. He loved Christ. And so every opportunity he had, he turned it to use for the gospel and to preach the gospel persistently over and over and over and over again. Some great lessons we can learn from Philip as we uh, study him today. I want to go back real quick because this, this, this man, Simon, uh, was one of the people converted in Samaria. So before we get to Philip, you have these, these two um, individuals who are emphasized by, by Luke, uh, Simon the Magician and the Ethiopian eunuch. So let's finish up uh, Simon the Magician real quick, because we didn't get to this part of his story. He, he comes, Luke tells us, right? He, he, he comes to Christ. He, he believes and is baptized. We see back um, a few verses um, earlier here in, in, in chapter 8. And, and Peter and John Remember from last week, Peter and John are sent to Samaria because they hear about this conversion of these Samaritans, and they go to check it out. And, and, and we talked about the, them coming and, and laying their hands on the Samaritans, and the Spirit comes upon them, and we talked about the significance of that and why that's kind of different in Acts than it was in other places. Um, what's happening here is Simon is watching this all unfold. And he sees the Spirit of God come upon the Samaritans through the hands of Peter and John, and he says to them, whoa, that's a cool trick. (laughs) Like, I want to be able to do that. He's like, can can you guys give me that power so that I can lay my hands on people and give them the spirit too? And that's where Peter here uh, rebukes him and says, dude, may your silver perish with you. (laughs) Like, you've got this all wrong. Um, And and the point, I, I thought took from that is this, it's possible to profess faith and have a heart that is not right before God. He, he desires this power that Peter and John had. He desires it for himself, for his own purposes. His focus is on his own prestige. His own self-advancement. If I look back in my life and I'm honest with myself, there are a lot of times when I look and I say, I've made my faith and my Christianity sometimes more about me than about God. Right? And like when I pray, like I try to, like every week, Russell, when I pray, God, bless the sermon this week. Help it to be used to speak to people. Like, Ray, you're always fighting this battle. Like, am, am I praying that so people hear it and go, oh, man, that guy gives a good sermon. Right? This is the flesh. Like, we're, we, I feel like we kind of fight against this. I want people to notice me. I want people to think the best about me. I want to be a good parent. You know, am I praying that my kids turn out well because I want people to look at me and say, oh, like, what a good parent you are. Or, or, or I want them just to love Jesus because... That's what matters most, right? And, and I think we can see a little bit of ourselves in, in Simon here. I came across this quote. This is um, um, 
a book called With by Sky Jathani, which, by the way, I recommend uh, highly. And, and he, he talks about this a little bit, these different ways we relate to God, trying to manipulate God, try to use God. And, and, and it's like ultimately, like, let's just love God for who God is, not for what he can do for us. Uh, but he uses an example of a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills um, who back in uh, November 28, 2010, they were playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, it says this, the Bills ultimately lost the game when Johnson, uh, that was the guy's name, Steve Johnson, who was the wide receiver, dropped a pass in the end zone during overtime. After the game, via Twitter, he publicly blamed God for the loss. Johnson wrote, I praise you 24-7, three exclamation points. And this is how you do me? Three exclamation points. You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. Right? Do you see the subtle thing there, though, in, in Steve's tweet? I praise you. I worship you. You owe me something. Right? For him, I, I don't know this man. I don't know his heart. I, I hope he, he, he made things right with the Lord. But right, this is a little bit what's going on with Simon the Magician. Like, hey, Hey, give me, I, I want this God thing. I want to use you for myself. And sometimes we can fall into that. Hey, I'll, I'll work at base camp. I'll be extra good this week, you know, and, and maybe you'll give me that new whatever that I need. Or that you help me that presentation at work, and we play this game with God. So before we're too harsh on Simon wanting to use God for his own purposes, let's examine our own hearts, because I think sometimes we can fall into the same thing, right? Simon sees the gift of the Spirit as something that can be bought, Magicians back then would pay money for new tricks, for knowledge. At the end of the day here, Simon misses the true point of the gospel, right? He doesn't understand that it's a gift, that the Spirit distributes it according to God's sovereign work. He doesn't understand that God's gift cannot be purchased by money. Again, Simon's attitude conveys an attempt to manipulate and control God. Listen, when it comes to God, we can't buy or earn anything. It's actually a term for this. In, 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 in some denomination. It's called simony. It comes from this. Simony was the, the practice of, of, of giving money to buy position in, in, in the church. And, uh, and so this has been going on for, for hundreds of years, this mentality. Well, Peter jumps right on him. Simon, your heart is not right. It is not right. You're not thinking correctly about spiritual things. You can't distinguish between vice and virtue. So here we have this man making a profession of faith, is even baptized, but he's not in the right place spiritually. Peter uses this terminology, you have the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. In other words, you are full of poison, you're captive to sin. And Peter goes on and tells him, you must repent in order to avoid a serious fate. Now, right away last week, two or three people come up to me and said, so was Simon really a believer or not? I don't know. And a lot of good people, good Bible interpreters, commentators, they disagree on this. I don't know if he was saved or not. I would tend to think he was. I feel like Luke's, when Luke says he believed and was baptized, the, the, the clear meaning of that statement seems to be that he came to Christ. Um, but maybe he didn't. I don't know. At the end of the day, here's what I do know. He made a profession of faith, his heart wasn't right, and Peter told him, repent. The opportunity was there to get right. But here's the thing, the takeaway. We need to be aware of this. It's, it's possible to make a profession of faith and yet have our hearts be captured by our own selfish desires, pragmatism, 
and a view of God that distorts who he is and what my relationship with him should be like. I think the other thing, and Peter isn't speaking exactly to this, but I think there's something also encouraging in Peter's words where Peter says this is a gift. In other words, this isn't bought or sold. For those of you who live your lives constantly thinking you have to earn God's love and favor. This speaks to you too. You don't buy it. Stop trying to buy God's favor through being good enough. I want to be good, but I want to do it in response to what God has done for me. But stop beating yourself up like, I have to measure up. I have to be a certain level of perfection in order to earn this from God. That's a Simon-like attitude as well, trying to manipulate God. You can't buy God's grace. You can't buy God's gift. I think there's something encouraging here in Peter's words, and even in his rebuke. It's a gift. It's a gift that you don't earn and you don't buy. All right. Kind of concludes Simon. Let's follow Philip now. Um, as he continues on, oh, yeah, this is just kind of an add-on to that. After the Simon, uh, you see Peter and John leave. You continue to see the gospel spreading. Remember, this is one of the themes of Acts. As Peter and John leave. What does it say? Now they're preaching the gospel through Samaria as they go back. So we see these geographical references again in Acts as the gospel goes forth. Um, a, a side note, I, I love this. Um, as you see this, the conversion of these Samaritans, and you see Peter and John, these two significant apostles, on their way back from Samaria, having affirmed uh, the Samaritans' conversion and what's going on there, and now preaching in Samaria. I, I wish we had time to unpack this. If you go back to Ezekiel 37, and I just love this, because it shows just that God is controlling this whole thing. Back in Ezekiel 37, um, the prophet declares that the stick of Ephraim and the stick of Judah would become a single stick. The stick of Ephraim, the Samaritans were descended from Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. The descendants of Ephraim and of Judah will become a single stick. Remember we talked about this? This is why the spirit was laid on by hand. It's becoming one. This prophetic announcement all the way back in Ezekiel coming true as the Samaritans are brought in. This is the movement of God. This is what we're a part of. This mystery we sang of this morning. The spread of the gospel, becoming one people of God. Peter and John contribute to this as they go on their way preaching the gospel, continuing to spread. We come across this next guy, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, starting in verse 26. And the first thing that jumps out to us as we move and start looking at the Ethiopian eunuch is that God himself is directing the expansion of his kingdom God himself is directing the spread of the gospel. We see that an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and says, go. This is God's direction. Where does he send him? He sends him to a desert place. Go south to a desert place. This road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza was the last kind of stop on the road before the the stretch of desert uh, going to Egypt. Um, the fact that he notes it's not a desert place, communicate. This is not the most happening place. <laughs> this is kind of out of the way. This should encourage us. Because sometimes God has work for us to do 
in the desert, right? Sometimes God has work for us to do in the desert. We often want big and glamorous, but sometimes God sends us into desert places. Sometimes the most effective ministry takes place in the context of the unexciting and the tedious. And we don't always embrace this, right? It's really easy. And this is a good thing. We've talked this morning about all the volunteers for base camp. And we love that. It's really easy to get all charged up and excited about helping with something like base camp, right? This big event, all these people here. Like, that's, that's easy. But that was one week. And the majority of ministry takes place in the mundane, everyday life that we live, interacting with coworkers, friends at school, in the mundane, in the desert. I think part of the reason when I was younger, you've heard my testimony, and, and there were some reasons why I didn't want anything to do with being a pastor or church ministry. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but one of those reasons, if I'm honest with myself, I wanted to be in ministry, but I, I really wanted to be involved in camp ministry or something that traveled. I was involved in that type of ministry for a while in college. And if I'm honest with myself, especially growing up in a small New England church, right, camp ministry is exciting. You get 300, 400 kids in a room every night screaming their heads off. You only have to deal with them for a week so they don't have time to, stop, to not like you, you know. Uh, I mean, it's exciting, and it's like it's a base camp, you know, and, like, and, and it's this. And, and, and I think part of it for me, too, is thinking about, man, man, the same church like every single week, over and over and over and over and over again. I think as a kid it sounded a little boring. And I think God did a work in my life. I look back now and I see how beautiful the ministry was in my life in that little New England church. But this is what we do sometimes. Keep that in mind, the desert. The majority of ministry takes place, I believe, in the desert. Sometimes God leads us into these unexpected places, right? Go down to the desert. Unexpected. You ever find yourself in an unexpected place doing ministry? I mean, I'm in Michigan, right? So, uh, those are, yeah, anyway. Uh, no, right? An unexpected place. Remember Paul Kimball talking a little while back? Paul would love to be flying planes. But God's led him to a place where he's working on planes at a place where he's helping equip other people to go out and fly planes. And I remember him talking about that not too long ago. We were at his house for something, and he just said, I'm okay with that. He sees this bigger picture. He's in this unexpected place, but God's using him in big ways. I I love that. This is our own church's story, right? Every charter day, a group of people leave the comfortable mother church over at Wealthy Park to come start a church out in the farmlands of Cascade, Eastmont. We see that. That's our own story. Let's go to the desert. Let's leave comfortable and go to uncomfortable. Let's leave certainty and go to uncertainty. Aren't you glad that when Jeff Burr came to Grand Rapids and went to GRTS, he didn't say, I want to go work in one of those big churches where it's really easy 
and, and you know, it's not always easy. That's a stereotype. But, but no, one of those big, right, maybe more glamorous, though, from a human perspective. Uh, he ends up at this little church that had quite a few problems at the time and decides to work, and Kevin's going, yeah, right? The deserts. Sometimes God does that. Really, God, you're calling me here? Oh, okay. I need to be reminded this morning, I, I need to trust that God sees a bigger purpose. He sees a bigger canvas. So maybe this encourages you this morning when you only have a small number that shows up to your night class on a Wednesday night. You prepared all week and for whatever reason there's only three kids here. Maybe this encourages you. Where is everybody? You ever make that statement? I made a decision about 10 or 15 years ago that I would never say that out loud again at a youth group activity. Where is everybody? What does that imply? It implies that the people here aren't important. It implies that there's not a mission to be done to these people right here, right now. Where is everybody? They're right here. Right? Should encourage you. Maybe there's one kid. Maybe there's one person that needs to be ministered to that night or in that event. It's desert-like, but embrace that. I'm glad that we had friends from our own church here who were willing to embrace that and go to the desert of Mongo and build a hospital. But over 50 years ago, a man went down to Agarasu, Brazil, middle of the jungle, and said, I want to put a camp here. Hmm. We don't have to have the big overseas things, the big events. So I want to ask you the question this morning, what unglamorous, tedious desert opportunity might God be calling you to? He called Philip to a desert road. Philip goes down to this desert road, and you see the text as it unfolds. The word doesn't come across in the ESV, but in verse 27, it says, Behold, see, an Ethiopian was there. This Ethiopian comes across. So God directs him to a desert place. And he directs him to a specific individual. Ethiopia at this time represented the ends of the earth. It was south of Egypt, more like modern day Sudan. The word Ethiopia came, became associated with uh, the terminology of the people with black skin. The Greek writer Homer referred to Ethiopia as being at the ends of the world. Herodotus writes that Ethiopia stretches farthest of the inhabited lands in the direction of the sun's decline. Remember Acts 1a? Remember Acts? The ends of the earth. Ethiopia at this time represented the ends of the earth. The gospel is spreading. I love this. Again, the fulfillment of prophecy, the movement of the gospel around the world. This was designed and planned by God centuries past. Check this out. Zephaniah 3.10. From beyond the rivers of Cush. You know what Cush is? Ethiopia. Beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. It's being fulfilled here in Acts. So when we get discouraged, is God still working? Is the gospel unfolding? Is the kingdom going forth? We see that it does. God ordained it. So it is. Way back in Zephaniah, he predicted. I believe this was part of the moment that God was predicting when he made this prediction right here. Salvation of this man. Psalm 68, 31. Noble shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Here's an Ethiopian eunuch who is stretching out his hands to God. God is working. 
This man was an important and powerful high government official. He served the queen of the Ethiopians. He was her financial overseer. Her name may or may not have been Candace. Candace was a title of the Ethiopian queen, kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar. She was the Candace. He was serving in the, 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 uh, the court of the queen. The fact that he possessed an entire scroll of Isaiah indicates that he had money. He had means. The scroll would have been 8 to 12 inches tall and anywhere from 16 and a half to 145 feet long. And it would have cost a small fortune for him to have purchased. You didn't own them then. Right? He didn't have an HP printer in his basement you know, to kick this thing out. Uh, you know, this, this man was rich. He was probably a God-fearer. I don't think we have to stretch very far to make that assumption. He's worshiping in Jerusalem, and he's reading Isaiah. By the way, this is an incredible journey. One of the commentators, Clint Arnold, writes this. He does the math for us, which is good because I don't do math. He says, if he covered an average of 25 miles per day, the trip to Jerusalem would have taken him anywhere from 48 to 60 days or 96 to 120 days round trip. That would have been even longer if he stopped for any significant time along the way. This man is earnestly seeking God. He's a God-fearer. Doesn't know about Christ yet, but he's seeking after God. And he's a eunuch. He's a eunuch. This is significant. A eunuch means he had a physical um, deformity. Whether that was born with or introduced later, we don't know, but it was common then uh, for people who served in these types of offices to be eunuchs. This man was a eunuch. The significance of that is this. As a eunuch, he would not have ever been allowed to fully participate in Israel's religious life. He would not have been allowed to go any closer to the temple than the outer courts as a eunuch. This was actually laid down in the law in Deuteronomy 23.1. Probably at that time, it had to do with forbidding uh, that because of pagan practices and, and keeping Israel pure from that. But this man had been excluded um, from worship in Jerusalem, but he still was seeking after God. So he would have been an outcast from Judaism, living in a state of ritual impurity. Once again, what you see here, as we saw with the Samaritans, is those who are excluded because of who they were, where they were born, how they were born, are now under the new rules, the new covenant of the kingdom, are being brought in. This is a major theme in Luke. Luke loves this theme. Think of the parables of the lost things. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Luke loves lost things coming back home and being included in the people of God. And that's taking place here. I want you to turn real quick to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. I think that this man was aware of this passage. So even though the passage he's actually reading is Isaiah 53, I think he's aware of this. And I think you're going to see why here in just a minute. But check this out. How would this strike someone? Like this eunuch, Isaiah 56, and I just want to start in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He goes on to talk about the foreigners coming in. 
And down in verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. I got to think that there was a reason why this eunuch was fascinated with the book of Isaiah, and I have to believe at some level he was aware of that passage. Catch the significance of that? The hope running through that passage for someone like this eunuch, the outsider, that was foreseeing the day when the new covenant in Christ would arrive, restoration being a theme. Jesus' miracles, now along with people like eunuchs and Samaritans being brought into the people of God, show the inbreaking of the kingdom. This is a great reminder to us that sovereign God is in charge of all of this, that a revolution has begun, and we don't ever have to get discouraged or defeated wondering if this is unfolding really the way God intended it to unfold, because it has been for hundreds of years, and it will continue to be. Eunuchs, Samaritans, fast forward to our day, people are still coming to Christ. That is the movement we are part of. That is what was prophesied in Isaiah. That is why we don't get discouraged. That's why we stand up at base camp and proclaim Jesus Christ to kids who sometimes seem to have no interest in it because there's cooler things to be involved in. But the kingdom is here. The kingdom is expanding. The kingdom is drawing people. So what do we do in all this? Here's our role. God's people simply must obey and respond to God's direction. That's what Philip does. The prophecy is there. The spirit is there. The powerful word of God is there. Philip just becomes the vessel through, this, through which this all works. Twice in the passage, we see God's direct involvement in evangelizing this man. Through the angel, through the spirit, right? Philip gets there on this desert road, and the spirit says to him, there's the guy. Go talk to him. Philip runs to the man. Philip runs to the man. He responded to the spirits. Interesting, right? When the angel told him to go to the desert road, he didn't tell him why. Leave Samaria. Leave this happening place right now where all this revival is going on. Leave this and go to the desert road. Didn't tell him why. He didn't say, because there's a eunuch there who's going to get saved, uh, who's going to come to Christ, and he's going to go on to Africa, and he's going to evangelize, be the first missionary in Africa. He didn't tell him any of that. He'd go, Philip's like, okay, I'll go. He just goes. He responded to the Spirit then. Go, there he is. Philip runs to this man, and he joins himself to him. He runs, he initiates conversation, and he joins him in the carriage He invests his time. He invests his life in this man. The terminology is like, go join yourself to this man. He went and he sat in the carriage. I thought of Paul's writing here in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you. He's talking to the Thessalonians. Paul writing to the Thessalonians. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The NIV translation is, but also our own lives. This is what Philip does. He responds to the Spirit, and he's just willing to invest his life in this man. He joins him in the chariots. That's what we got to do. We just got to join with people. We got to do life with them. We got to give of ourselves. That's when the gospel flows through us. God has given us the curriculum 
we need to witness. So we respond to the Spirit's leading. And then we just use the Word of God and talk about Jesus. Right? Sometimes we make it too complicated. I've got to learn all the, the, the rebuttals and all of the, uh, you know, the apologetic uh, answers to every possible question that may come up. No, just use the Scriptures, present Jesus, say, I don't know. If they ask a question, that's okay. I will find out the answer. But just give them the Word of God. Philip asked this man if he understands, and this is what leads to the opportunity. And what the guy says is striking. He goes, how would I understand it unless someone, what, guides me? Guides me. Right? Romans 10, 14 through 15, how will they know without a preacher? We have to be the guides Not because we have all the answers, not because we're better, but God in his grace and mercy has opened our eyes, he's given us his truth, and we have to help people see it. They're not going to figure it out on their own. We live in a culture that's less and less biblically literate every single day. They're not going to figure it out. They don't know the stories. That's okay. Tell them. Be their guide. Instruct them in scripture. Philip does that. I love this. Philip is ready to explain. He's ready to explain. And he, he just knows the biblical story. Beginning with this scripture, it says, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love how, how Luke puts it. When Philip opened his mouth. <laughs> Open our mouths. Open your mouth. Right? That's what he did. He tells them about Jesus. The material here is significant. We don't have time to make all the connections, but this is the fourth of the suffering servant passages in Isaiah. Talking about the unjust death of the innocent at the hands of a wicked generation. But at the crux of it all, what this whole conversation comes down to is this, the eunuch's question. Who is this about? And what did Philip give him? Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. So let's skip for a while talking about politics and social issues and this, this, and this. When you get the opportunity to say, hey, maybe we can talk about that, get to that. But can I start by just telling you about Jesus and why he matters? Start with Jesus. Let them become enthralled with Jesus. It's exactly what Philip does here. Charles Spurgeon talked about this one time. He said, people bring up a topic, a spiritual topic, address it quickly, then make a beeline to Jesus. I like that. Make a beeline to Jesus. And we see again here, the gospel is an unstoppable force. This man comes to Christ. What prevents me from being baptized, he asked. Part of me wonders if there's a little bit of sadness in this question, not in the question itself, but the reason why he asked it. I'm, I, I can't help but wonder what prevents me from being baptized. His whole life he had been prevented. He goes to the Jerusalem temple, he's prevented. I wonder if there's some little part in his mind that's like, is, is there something preventing me from being fully in? It's like, there's water. Not this time. Not this time, eunuch. Jesus has changed the game. 
You're in now. Let's go get baptized. You're part of the people of God. You're included. And it says he's filled with great joy. Because he's been introduced to Jesus. It says the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what happened here. It's kind of cool. I wish he would do that sometime. Like I speak at Lake Ann, like just be there. Like how cool would that be? Um, I don't know. Kind of like quantum leap. This is like quantum leap gospel edition. But uh, Philip is just, he ends up in a different place. He's not there anymore. The Ethiopian's like rejoicing. I think we have the first missionary to Africa. Philip finds himself in ancient Ashdod, Azotus, and he preaches all the way up the coast for 55 miles until he reaches Caesarea. In Acts 21, verse 8, we see that Philip is still there some 20 years later. Godly children, serving the Lord faithfully. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to start preparing our hearts for communion. But just some concluding thoughts of application. Thinking back to Simon, we're corrupted when we pursue glory and power for ourselves. So let's not do that. Remember that defective faith may be present even after conversion, right? Think about Corinth, for instance. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is still having to instruct the Corinthians on issues of sexual purity, even after their conversion. That means the work's not done when someone comes to Christ. Discipleship continues, right? Look for people who are open. Follow the Spirit's promptings. And change your perspective. Single individuals are just as important as large groups. Just minister wherever God puts you, whoever he puts you in front of, right? One last thing I just love about this story. This Ethiopian, this wasn't the first time he heard about God. Somewhere along the line, someone had planted seeds. Philip is the one who reaps the harvest. Let that encourage you too. I just gave myself all week to base camp. The kids didn't do anything. That's okay. Somebody in the past had whetted this man's appetite for God. You don't make a journey like that to Jerusalem if you're not seeking after God. Somewhere, those seeds were planted. You don't buy the the scroll of Isaiah if someone hadn't said something to him. At some point, Philip just reaps. I said that conversation with my daughter yesterday. Had Had a really hard week at camp last week. Really hard girls. Two of them came to Christ. Really hard girls. Chris was almost on tears on the phone. And she said to us, she said, I have to cling to that, that truth that sometimes we're just planting the seeds. And I may never see the harvest, but I just got to cling to that. Right? So don't be discouraged in your ministry. Go to the desert places. Serve well. Give them Jesus. And let God do what he does. Just be the Phillips. Right? Watch what God does. God, I pray that you'd help us to live out this example of Philip. Be faithful proclaimers of the gospel. Here, there, and everywhere, wherever you call us. <laughs> we'll say with our base camp song, God, we'll go anywhere, anywhere at all, as long as we're with you.